Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and I'm here to help Paul do the podcast this weekend, and we cover the big stories that have appeared this week at thisiscommonsense.org. That's where he's been writing since 1999. He wrote five pieces, like usual, five pieces a week, and they started on Monday with Starlink to Ukraine. On Tuesday, it was Self-Inflicted Death by Vax. On Wednesday, it was A Naive Victory. On Thursday, it was inflation, evasion, depression. And on Friday, today, as we record this, U.S. patent 9,587,003 B2. You're wondering, that's a weird title. It's a weird story. It's a big story. It's being overshadowed. Okay, so now, Paul, did you have an opening statement you wanted to make today? I didn't really, but I kind of do. I mean, I didn't before just a second ago when I was thinking about it, but uh, but now I kind of do, or at least I have a question first for you, which is I have kind of had this sense that when I hear Biden and I hear different people in the U.S. administration talk about Ukraine, it, it's not as if we said, hey, we're going to be there with troops. There, it makes kind of some sense that you don't exactly want U.S. and Russian troops going toe-to-toe. You don't want Chinese and U.S. troops going toe-to-toe as much as you can possibly avoid either of those situations. But there's a, there's something I don't like about, it's like we're, we're really, we're tough because we're ratcheting up the sanctions. And, you know, I think there are cases, I think, I think generally we throw sh- sanctions around like nobody's business. But this strikes me as a time in which you do want to sanction. And of course, if you do, you probably also want to say we're not buying your oil and, and not pick and choose and so on. And uh, but, you know, of course, it, embargoing oil, either not refusing to sell it or refusing to buy it, it's pretty serious stuff. It's kind of a war, a, a warlike action. It's not quite violence, so it's a little short, but but uh and freezing assets. I mean, that's kind of stealing that you know, a lot of fights in this world get, get started that way. So it's there, there's always the question of how you respond. I think that I, I've thought for quite some number of years, two, three, four, that we are either in the initial stages of World War Three and we just don't know it yet, or we're headed that way. And partly because uh, of what's happening in China and, and Russia's a, a bad player, although not nearly the power China is, but also what's happening here and the sense that, uh, as we've talked about several, a lot of times, our leaders seem to kind of like the way China's run and maybe want to do the same thing. And, and it's just there's not a lot of there hasn't been a lot of good news for freedom and and so I, I, I love seeing countries come together and recognize that you just you can't you can't pour troops across borders and and hit cities with missiles. And, you know, I mean, it, there are certain things like like one country could do really mean things to another country in all kinds of ways. But there's a, a whole category of more once you're invading and killing people. And uh, and so I like that the world is clamping down on Russia in all kinds of ways, 
but I also feel like our that that it's almost like Biden kind of taking a victory lap with what we can do. And I'm looking at it and thinking, we have promised all kinds of countries that we will defend them. And we really, I don't think are quite prepared to do it. And I think you have to, you either have to say, we're not going to do it, which I think is at this stage in history is not, not the right time for that. Or you have to, and, but, but if that's the truth, you gotta, you gotta tell the truth or you have to prepare. And, and I remember thinking how odd it was that I, I thought when I heard the space force out of Trump years ago, I mean, I just, years before that, I thought, oh, what new way to spend money on defense is this? This is silly, ridiculous. And some people panned it exactly like that. But I was, I thought, this is smart. Do this. I'm, I'm actually, as someone who's kind of always been very concerned and still am about our foreign policy and our intervention in different places that serve certain interests, but not the public interest. I today am very concerned that we are stretched all over the globe and that the forces of freedom, such as they are around the world, are counting on us and that we're not we're not really that's not on our list of things to do in real, you know, in our real list. We have it as, you know, we we know what to say to make the Chinese feel and recognize that we're serious in diplomatic speech. But at the end of the day, it's missiles and ships and soldiers and, and technology and and plans and and trying to actually defend places instead of instead of think of what the best language is to make people think that you're going to defend them. So there was a question there somewhere. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I thought I thought this is there was about seven minutes ago. <laughs> I don't think the United States can get involved in the Ukraine any more than I think that if we attacked Mexico because Mexico is behaving dangerously, we would want Russia or China to to come on the side of Mexico. Uh, that's just pure parodies. That just if it's reciprocity, I don't think it can happen. As many bad things as it can happen when bad people do bad things, I just don't see how it's possible. And we're nuclear powers. And the thing that you didn't quite mention, though you alluded to it many times, so it's it's it, to me it's the elephant in the room or the mammoth in the next room, and that is that the United States has been pushing you, uh, Putin to do this for a long time. By expanding NATO after it promised not to expand NATO, and him protesting year after year, and then U.S. getting involved in Ukraine elections more than once, I mean, they did a big deal. Was it 2014, and then or 2015, somewhere around then? And then they, the United States has been involved. Biden has been involved. Nancy Pelosi's son is involved. Chuck Schumer's son, Mitt Romney's son, is all involved in oil in Ukraine, or some energy company in Ukraine. They're all big, big wigs. I mean, to me, this whole thing is such a stink of a mess. And none of us, no politician's child should be on the board of. Or, or any yeah, of but none of that stuff. That I agree wholeheartedly with that. But I, but at the same time, I kind of think it, it it and and Russia supposedly was involved in our election in 2016, and we know the CIA is involved in all kinds of elections, and there's money, and there's different things, and and we can look at that and kind of say, well, I don't think that's right, and and personally the alternative of clamping everything down and, and trying to police state elections is probably worse than the disease of foreign governments 
trying to get their word in, just like some corporation or some union or some pack or whatever. Let them all speak. Um, but troops going across a border is fundamentally different. And in, and in a sense, you know, we wouldn't like it if the Warsaw Pact all of a sudden had countries close to us. But of course, they have had Cuba right there. And of course, <laughs> we had the Bay of Pigs and we've done different things and we've embargoed forever. But we haven't landed troops on Cuba and we shouldn't land. Well, troops. we did land troops on Cuba. When? Bay of Pigs. Bay of Pigs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying since since the Bay of Pigs. Yeah. And, and those were kind of irregular and, troops. Right. But, and we would have gone to nuclear war if Russia hadn't removed the, the, the nukes from the Cuba. Well, we, we don't know what would have necessarily happened next. But of course, that, that was also a deal to remove nukes in Turkey. Exactly. And remove them in, in Cuba. So, so it, there's, was, it was there's a reciprocal deal. There's the principle. I don't think Turkey should be in NATO. I think Turkey is a bad ally and we should have nothing to do with yes, it. Yes, I, I agree. Well, where I would like to go in foreign policy is away from our role as world policemen, where we do it all. We're the cop. And sometimes we get other, we deputize other folks, but we're doing it all. We're not up to it. No country is up to that. The superpower crap is a word. It's not a reality. And, and we just shouldn't do that. But in pulling back from that, I think we have to be careful not to undercut countries that have depended on us. And I think we have to look at like Southeast Asia, you have all of a sudden Japan stepping up, you have uh, South Korea has started to get engaged in stuff that they never did years ago. Um, Australia in a real trade war with China, there's and China trying to take over the entire South China Sea. It's called the South China Sea, but it it's not really all China's. And and so there's there's that sort of thing. Russia is a bad actor, um, you know, in lots of ways, I think. But it also we really did mishandle all of this, it seems to me, because there's two choices. You could well, three, maybe you could add Ukraine to NATO. And you could arm it to the teeth and say, okay, we're going to, and my sense is I don't think Putin would have attacked had there been all kinds of troops there. But why? Why not instead let it in the EU, do whatever, you know, that's not my decision, that's the EU's, but, but in other words, integrate it as much as possible, but we're not trying to attack Russia, so we don't need any missiles in Ukraine, and hopefully we don't need any, you know, any more missiles than we have it. And if we do, I'm all for keeping that deterrence. Um, I mean, I've sold out. I'm ready to pragmatically do whatever is, I think, most likely to keep the peace. Um, uh, Pompeo this week in, in Taiwan, visiting Taiwan uh, as a private citizen, uh, came out and said we should recognize Taiwan as an independent country. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. At the same time, if the president of Taiwan or a bunch of people in Taiwan say, Paul, no, why don't we just keep it the way it is? Don't say anything. We're independent. We're having a good time. Come on over, hike some mountains, go to the beach. Then I'm fine with that too. Um, and so I, 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 think, I think you have to be careful in these things and you have to be smart and you have to realize we got to avoid war if we can. 
And the reason to be strong instead of weak is to avoid war. And that's, that's what worries me is that I think it's a lot easier to hand out guarantees that will be there to defend you and then not be there. And I would have liked to have seen a world in which there are alliances where maybe Ukraine wasn't an alliance, where Russia knew this is the sort of alliance that they're, I don't have anything to fear from. They won't allow one of their countries to start an aggressive war. They'd immediately be cut off at that point, and, but they will defend each other. And, and you know, it's just kind of in, in, a, in a rough block I think it's probably smart for some of the houses to get together and say, you know, why don't we have each other's back? And if it's the good guys doing that, all the better. I have a hard time knowing what the good guys are, because after COVID, I consider our good guys to be completely corrupt and dangerous and heading toward totalitarianism. And I can include Biden, Kamala Harris and the whole Democratic gang and Justin Trudeau, especially. And and Zelensky is an admirer of Justin Trudeau. He said that he got into politics partly inspired by Justin Trudeau. Uh, this man, I wouldn't trust that, either that of those. Is scary. That I don't is like scary. it. I don't like but, it at all. But there's but, even worse: is this whole Ukraine thing, and we, by pushing Russia, by having pushing against Putin, we poke at him, and we push him towards China. And there was a lot of reason to believe that Japan and India. Or have been making agreements because they know that, especially after Afghanistan, there's an entente forming against China in the East, India and China, and Japan being two obvious examples that they want to ally separate from the United States and uh, you know with other countries, maybe even to Taiwan, but probably Australia too. But Russia was a possible silent partner here, and they were somehow involved in setting up some sort of uh, uh, entente. And that's completely scuttled now. I haven't read anything about that. I well, this is, this is in the real backwaters of diplomacy. It's obvious that these countries are looking for real, actual defense against a real threat in China. And if they don't think the U.S. is going to do it, they're going to look for other ways. Right. And some of that may be nuclear. And yeah. the truth is, if, if we're talking about Japan, uh, India, not so much. Of course, they have nukes. Uh, Taiwan. I, I don't think you have anything to fear from Japan that has nuclear weapons or China or, or not China, Taiwan oh. that has nuclear weapons. The, the two countries in that area, in that area of the world that I think you have most to fear, well, the, all the countries you have most to fear from, Pakistan, India, and China. Uh, and you have the most to fear from China and the next from Pakistan and the next from India. But, but all three of those are governments that are not terribly stable or nice or human rights friendly or human life friendly and they all have nukes and so you know if if australia and taiwan and japan had nukes i, I think you'd have a better neighborhood instead of a, a worse neighborhood now that's you know who knows what will happen with that but the, the truth is they're all looking for real defense this is not just a you know john f kennedy ran for president before i was born even uh, talking about a missile gap that didn't really exist. We've played all kinds of games with defense. We've used our military to do all kinds of stupid things and wrong things. Uh, but I think we're, we're entering a period in which authoritarianism is heightened. And, and we see it even in our own country trying to grow. And, and so this isn't a, 
our government needs to have extra power, but it is, I think, that our, our country has to be strong. We're headed, I think, to some difficult days ahead, and, and we want to be capable of defending ourselves and being a good partner in that sort of thing, or, uh, you know, or, or it'll be worse. One more complexity that I think we should add, though, this is the, this is the thing that no one's talking about, it seems like, money. Uh, we've the, the embargo has been over the SWIFT system, which is some sort of international financial cooperation uh, system. But you know who's not in SWIFT? India and China. Russia has now could trade directly with India and China and has nothing to do with dollars. The dollar is being dropped nation by nation in importance as the de facto currency of the world. And when that finally hits some tipping point, the dollar goes, America goes, we go into crisis, and it doesn't matter what war we're in, America is in a really deep doo-doo, as uh, one of the great evil presidents in American history, George Herbert Walker Bush put it, uh, deep doo-doo, and uh, the deep doo-doo is financial because our, our dollar doesn't hold together very well. I don't think Russia is that huge. I mean, it is, it's a hit. It's a hit, uh, uh, you know, of, of decent size, but it's not, you know, of course, you know, if we got involved in the same sort of thing with China, that's a real big hit. And I think we have to begin to be prepared for that hit because, you know, it, uh, Germany was a big part of the uh, international economy before World War II, and, and it was a big hit. But, but it was not like we could go, ah, let's stop the war and see if we can do some trading. So, I mean, part of it is if the dollar were, were it, it seems to the dollar is propped up by its, we've been allowed to, to borrow and borrow and not have a, a very stable dollar because everyone's had to kind of use it. So tough. And, and we may be at a point in which, you know, customers go elsewhere. And and uh, and in a war, we want those. You know, I mean, we're it's not like we're saying it's not like Russia saying, "Hey, we're out of here." We're saying, "Get out of here." But but we, you know, the stronger you are, the more capable you are of saying, "I'm not going to trade with you." The dollar going could be good for us because obviously, the United States government is never going to stop deficit spending and debt financing until they have to. So that's one good thing. The problem is who's going to be in charge and what they what what people like the Democrats want to do. And they've moved it already in Congress several times. I think you've written about this. They've moved to get rid of cash. They want to be able to control your bank accounts. So in a case of emergency, they can. Oh, you can't spend that much money. And they've already proposed this very session of Congress to get into your bank account and look and see what the activity is. So it's, right. it's... we're a long way away from you. What you wrote this week. <laughs> well, not really. I was just about to kind of have the opposite conclusion a little bit in that, isn't it interesting that we we start by talking about the war? Uh, you know, that's the big news, and it is. Um, but it implicates so much of what we talk about all the time. Uh, because the first one up, Starlink to Ukraine. Um, here a war breaks out. Information is really important. It's important to both sides. Uh, Russian troop movements, different things are being tweeted. And Twitter, in their infinite stupidity, is slapping down these tweets and censoring these tweets. 
And then, of course, it turns out, uh, no, please, the Russians already know where they're moving their troops. We're communicating with each other on your network, which is the whole beautiful reason to have such a network. But you idiots ruin it. So uh, Twitter you know, got around to fixing it. But, uh, but they didn't get around to realizing, you know what? We could just let people speak and then other people could hear it and read it and send it to somebody else. And, and it would all kind of come out in the wash what people are doing and saying, and people could use it to the best of their ability instead of Twitter deciding we're on high going to decide what truth is and what you can say and what you can't say. So it's, it's obnoxious. And then, of course, just because ingenuity is such a wonderful thing, uh, I believe it was a, a, a Ukrainian general or maybe it was one of their ministers who tweeted something out to Elon Musk and said, hey, could you save us by getting us uh, the ability you know, to, to hook up to the Starlink uh, uh, internet through satellite? And, uh, and he did it, and he did it pretty darn quick. Uh, so that was kind of the, we started off Monday, which we almost never do with the, the feel good story of the week, I think. Well, it's nice occasionally to have things start out nicely. <laughs> I don't know. On Monday, you're thinking it's, it's going to go downhill from here. You know, you almost want to start out Monday bad. So you have something to look forward to. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Tuesday, we talked about self-inflicted death by vax. And this, I guess, doesn't have anything to do with the war, except that it has to do with the centralized, the, the, just the insanity of modern life where all intelligence is centralized and, and things are decided that the outcome then is completely absurd. And this is a case of somebody in France who uh, died after, after being vaccinated. Not that anyone has ever died after being vaccinated. I can't believe I even suggested such a thing. <laughs> but, but this guy, against all medical advice, went and died. Not, not him, but somebody. Well, I can't remember who it was, but a relative died. Um, uh, and we didn't, it's, it's an unnamed person in the news. Uh, I don't believe that they've named the person. We didn't name him, certainly, on the, on the piece. But they, they uh, so basically his insurance company uh, doesn't pay out. You know, he's got a death benefit coming. Uh, it doesn't pay out. And it doesn't pay out because they rule it a self-inflicted suicide, although they didn't mention, they said self-inflicted uh, death. He was not forced to get the vaccine. So even though there's all kinds of, you know, here's how you rats will move through the maze and here's all the, all the PR and all the, you know, the peer pressure and group hysteria, mass hysteria, uh, this guy gets vaccinated, dies, insurance company doesn't pay because it's essentially suicide by vaccination. So, um, with all the, we're going to make sure that this vaccine, everything, we're taking care of everybody. It's free. We're doing all these different things. But on the back end, if you die from it, tough. Uh, that's considered a, a suicide. And read the piece. There's links to more information. Um, the, you know, we have different opinions, uh, similar opinions in, in many respects about the, 
pandemic and COVID-19 and all kinds of things. But what constantly amazes me is it really doesn't matter where you are on the science, the medicine, whatever, you realize that the government, the government medical industrial complex is speaking in 62 different voices, all of which are saying we are the correct voice and we have all powerful knowledge. And then they have this whole apparatus of media around them trying to tell us the same thing. And then you have YouTube and Facebook and other social media saying nobody can say anything against it. This is not, this isn't leave it to Beaver's America. I mean, this is, uh, this is a place where, ah, uh, oh, it, 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 and, and, on big things like life and death. And then at the end of the day, the poor guy who who is dies from the vaccine is left high and dry because it's an experimental thing. It's not covered. He did it voluntarily, even though he was just about coerced in every way you can imagine other than by gunpoint. Uh, wow. You also on today, Friday, uh, another piece on the vaccine situation. Uh, which I thought was interesting, or the COVID situation, or whatever, and that's uh, and, and that's even scarier. That that's that's a bigger, weirder story. It's a weirder story, and uh, uh, this is a story that that really ties so much of this together too: the pandemic and the whole medical industrial media, the whole the whole 1984ish world we live in. Uh, Moderna has a patent for a genetic code that they developed through, uh, you know, that, that as they were studying different uh, coronaviruses and well, so on. They developed it explicitly for cancer, as you say in the piece. It's for cancer yes. treatment. Yes. But they were yeah. also obviously dealing with it for uh, with coronavirus because it's in a piece of it's in coronavirus. <laughs> yes, that's the thing. And, and of course, you know, I don't know anything, <laughs> at least when at this level of science, uh, maybe not at any other level. I, maybe that's maybe that just happens. Oh, it happens. Whatever. Every once in a while, you just get the same code automatically comes up. No, they say that it's you know kind of what was it three hundred and thirty million to one or something that uh, it was a one uh, in three trillion chance is what the, the study. Well, has. that's even more. That's even <laughs> less of a chance. One in three trillion that this would would happen, and so you know the implication is just so clear, and and yet. You know, you you start to question, is this this is the Daily Mail and it's not, you know, it's not the, the most respected journal in the whole world, but it's a real newspaper and they can be sued if they say stuff that's not true. And they, you know, it, nobody's come out and said, this isn't true. Oh, this is completely false. What's the implication? The implication, I don't know what other conclusion you can draw other than if in there is the same code that was in a lab somewhere that Moderna was playing around with, and it's three trillion to one that that would naturally occur, then it kind of suggests coronavirus came from a lab. And of course, it comes out at the same time that all of a sudden there's these three studies that say, it's pretty obvious, pretty clear that it, this is a, a animal transfer. It could have been this animal. It could have been that animal. We found all kinds of traces at the wet market. 
where have these traces been? Have they been to, did they just fly in secretly while, while nobody was paying attention in Wuhan and get new samples or something? These samples, have, nobody's mentioned where these samples came from. I, I have to think they came from the Chinese government or from the Chinese doctors who were under the thumb that you might be dead if you do anything stupid. Sure. Uh, I mean, this is, and none of that is ever talked about. There's no, there's not even an inkling that this is, that we should even question where this material all of a sudden came from. I mean, this is, this is two years, two years plus ago this started. We, nobody could get in there. When they did get in there, it was a dog and pony show of here, listen to 20 minute speech by some bureaucrat and then on to the next place. No investigation. And then all of a sudden, they're looking at samples that were taken from the wet market, and the and as you pointed out, they they have uh, they have this like map of all the things that took place all around the wet market, which of course right next to the wet market is the is the Wuhan uh, virology lab, and it's like it's dude a virology lab. It it's just it's it's laughable if it wasn't that you're realizing I live in a world that has gone insane where people don't pay attention or hide basic facts about something. We're being told all these studies that are just appear to me reading between the lines to be phony baloney with no real new information whatsoever, nothing that can be trusted. And it's poo-pooing a lab leak when if this is true, what was printed in the Daily Mail it is it is the most smoking gun evidence that has come out by a factor of a hundredfold over anything else. I mean, there, there has been a lot of circumstantial thing, like there were people who were sick at the at the Wuhan lab. There was this and that. Those are circumstantial evidence. This is like, oh my goodness, here's the fingerprint of the, you know, of the perpetrator. This Almost literally so, because it's a finger, it's a, like a genetic fingerprint is another metaphor we often use for talking about pieces of code. So yes. there you are. Um, yeah, it's but, an amazing but, story. Uh, I've heard other weird stories, by the way, that I've, you know, from, from a long time ago, uh, right away, uh, an Indian scientist, I believe it was, was saying that he found pieces, pieces of HIV code in the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And that's just not a natural occurrence, you know, that have an HIV strain. We know that, you know, you use things like that in, you know, with, with a CRISPR machine, you can do all sorts of weird things like that. So we know it's possible to make these things, but I've never been able to follow that one up very well. This is the first one that I've seen, first story that I've seen that has a more definite stamp of real information about it. Because this, this is just not Daily Mail who's saying this is a, this was a group of, uh, international group of researchers right. who did the work and found this stuff and they did it and they did a lot of work on it and, and I mean, there's, they may be wrong on some elements, but I suspect we're, we have other reasons to believe Moderna was involved with the creation of this virus. I mean, this is, this is, there's, there's circumstantial evidence coming out of the uh, O'Keefe, not, what's his name? Uh, Project Veritas. James O'Keefe. He backed up some uh, links between DARPA and Moderna. DARPA turned down, famously turned down a, uh, right. a, a gain of function research program from Moderna and, and uh, that kind of thing. So obviously Moderna was very interested in gain of function. And we have Peter Daszak himself saying on YouTube that he did it. I mean, right. this is, right. th that's, th that's actually the thing that in a sense, everything seems secondary to 
a major player confessing to it. To me, you yeah. almost don't even need anything else after that. Dazak, his whole story, which if you're a regular reader of Common Sense, at this is commonsense.org, you know his whole story, the long, arduous, he's involved at every level that he was on the, the group that went to China to <clears throat> investigate, uh, that did zero investigation. He was used by Facebook as someone to determine what should be allowed to be said about the lab leak when he's the guy, he's the bag man taking money from NIH and delivering it to the Wuhan lab. And he's the guy behind the letter that was in the Lancet. I mean, this is the sort of thing that if you found this out in a political campaign or some political context, especially if it helped the Democrats and hurt the Republicans, well, the media would be all over it. It's just the juiciest thing you could ever imagine. And the truth is, in a sense, it's, it's like, what's the, the one movie, uh, Catch Me If You Can, uh, great song by the by the uh, Dave Clark Five too, but uh, I think it's Catch Me as as, as you, if you can, where the guy is the pilot sometimes, and he pretends to be a doctor, and I mean this is Peter Desai. It's it's uh, this whole thing is unbelievable, and yet most people don't know anything about it. It's never been a story that that the New York Times and the Washington Post was featuring in any way. It's never been the kind of story that, and now we found out this on the NBC Nightly News. No, it's like gotten almost no coverage. And, and partly because it implicates Fauci. Fauci is right at the center of it. He's working with Daznak. It's, you know, I mean, this is, is and it, you know, you, can, you could say, well, that's just a conspiracy. There's no conspiracy. We're not really alleging anything except it's what's right in front of our face. Uh, they've been caught in one conspiracy. Right, they, we have the emails. Were, yeah. It's problem. a conspiracy, just not a theory. It went from theory to fact pretty fast. <laughs> right. uh, but it's a fact that has been denied. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a writer in the early 20th century called Charles Fort who wrote a book called The Book of the Damned. And he investigated bizarre phenomena. And I think the, his term damned meant is, by the damned, I mean what science has forgotten or science won't deal with or what they, people just won't accept these facts. These are facts. Here's a bunch of facts I found. They don't fit your theories. They're very weird. And science won't deal with them because they're anomalous. And then they're damned. They're, they're not really treated as even anomalies. They're treated as not worth considering. And that's an interesting problem. And that's what the mainstream media and government does to this kind of thing. And there's an obvious reason. Wuhan lab, Chinese communists, and our medical industrial complex are working hand in hand and created what you refer to as maybe the biggest medical malpractice case in world history. Whether it had anything to do with COVID or not, we also now know it's been reported across the board, although not a lot made of it, but it's been reported that the, the, there was a medical or a medical, a military, sometimes it's hard to, hard to tell the difference, but there was a military component at that lab as well, a you know, biological warfare type uh, outfit. And, uh, you know, all of these things, it's, it's the sort of thing where, well, we've had this discussion so many times, where it's just, it's what's right in front of us is so clearly, nobody's owned up to it, 
Nobody's explained it. It's clear that they've lied to us, that they've hid things. Um, and, and as we talk about sometimes, you know, I'm so worried about the, you know, our authoritarian governments, totalitarian, Nazis, you know, I mean, it, this is totalitarian, almost seems too tame for China. But, uh, but of course, I don't see, and, and using the term, the good guys, you know, I think the American people view us as the good guys, but the reality is, if to the degree our politicians are better, it's only because we have more control of them. They want to go in the same direction. I've, I've long called this the freest, America is the freest totalitarian country in history because the attitude of almost all of our leaders are totalitarian, that government can indeed do everything, that if there's any problem anywhere, people should be told to do exactly this and not that. And if you don't do the right thing, um, I, I was talking to you <clears throat> as we got into last weekend and, and uh, we did kind of a different podcast last weekend, partly because I played hooky and, and uh, went to see the Arkansas Razorbacks in Fayetteville, Arkansas, play basketball against Kentucky. And I'm going to lose my whole train of thought by the time I tell the story, but, uh, but they won. And this is like, it's, I've never, I'm a big Arkansas Razorback basketball fan, the arch rival Kentucky, always great games. They won by two points, uh, last minutes comeback and so on. Um, and now I am going to lose my train of thought as to why I even said that about, uh, about us not doing the podcast this last weekend. If you can't think of it, I think it's a great moment to switch gears and see how fast we can get through the other two pieces you wrote this week. We, I think you're right that we are, uh, we, I, I can't because, but it was something good. I know uh, that. I, I know that. it was something good. And, uh, and I shouldn't ever, I should tell it first and then do the side story because I lose it on the side story. There's two other uh, scripts this week. One is inflation, evasion, depression. And that's really about this fact that we just deny, we, our leaders, deny that they're just getting the printing presses and bringing a bunch of money and sending money out and creating new money and borrowing money and spending it is, uh, it has anything to do with inflation. It's always somebody's fault. You know, in the seventies, it was, it was women buying too much at the grocery store. Do <laughs> you remember that one? Oh. Uh, that was really funny. And, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's now it's going to be the war, uh, even though gas prices were way up before the, the war, uh, you know, it's, it's, and, and of course there's different factors, but, um, and, and now we don't talk about inflation as, as, you know, an increase in the money supply, which is folks who are generally my favorite school of economics is Austrian and, and very much see inflation as an increase in the money supply. And, and uh, I guess you could critique that. I'm no economist, but it seems to me that to deny that there's, you know, sort of any correlation is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the thing that m most uh, 
fans and like both of us are fans of Austrian economics and I, I'm a big fan of economics as a science. I just find it interesting. Uh, but the, the thing that many of us get wrong is that we talk about this, it's an increase in the supply and the money, but it's really an increase of the supply of the money over the demand for money. And if there's a demand for money, sh uh, demand shift, if people want to hold their funds rather than spend them, that will have an effect on prices and, and, uh, relative prices quite, quite dramatically. And that's where, that, that's where everything gets complicated. Uh, so it's not just the supply of money because the demand for money is just as important, but demand and supply are kind of the same thing. So it gets, it's a, it's an interesting subject, but the idea that we can blame it all on something else is just absurd. Right. That all of a sudden companies are evil. So they just raised all their prices. Well, that's the stupidest when, thing. When, of course you were saying they were evil weeks ago and they hadn't raised them then. So if, I mean, if they were always evil, they'd always raise them every second they'd be going up. Right. It, it is. Yeah. It is. Uh, of course, these are politicians talking. And so how do you know they're lying? I think we all know. Um, so the other one is another sort of feel good story, maybe naive, but uh, I, a naive victory. And this is really, uh, uh, you know, we, we let off by talking about the fact that uh, people were scared. You know, China suggested don't say anything. Uh, when you come to Beijing for the Olympics and Nancy Pelosi came out and said, urge people don't say anything political, you know, don't have any freedom while you're over there because it's not safe. Um, I, I wish some of our leaders would have been as concerned about China for, for years now. But, but uh, Niels Vanderpool uh, won an Olympic gold medal, uh, speed skater, and he gave that Olympic gold medal to the daughter of a uh, Chinese dissident who was, who was in Sweden and who was caught by Chinese secret agents in Thailand and arrested and taken back to China and is imprisoned in China. And she said something to the effect of, you know, some people have have acted like this is, you know, a little naive to think that him giving her this medal is going to make any difference. But it does make a difference. It makes a difference uh, for one, we're talking about it. It made a difference in my life. It, it made a difference to know that there, here's one more person that cares. And every time, you know, what is what, what do totalitarians do? They find some way to force people to do what they don't want to do. Uh, what do people who believe in freedom do? They celebrate what people do of their own accord voluntarily because they love life, they love each other, they're free. And, uh, and so it's, it's beautiful. And uh, if, it, if it be naive, make the most of it. Well, on that note, we actually have a podcast. We do, we do. And you can decide whether to, to cut the part of where I can't figure out where I'm where I'm going. I did manage to squelch the fact that the cat turned on the demo on the piano. And oh, I wondered what you, I was. I thought, is he really playing the? You know, trying to figure out something on the piano. He figures I'm taking it home or something. But I guess you were trying to stop the cat. I was, was hearing a piano in my ears, and I was, and the cat was driving me bananas. I mean, I didn't hear a peep. There it is. Well, on that note. No. Anyway, a literal you. note. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much, sir.
I often have trouble titling these podcast episodes. The cat's not going to help. Paul has other things to do. And I mentioned the Book of the Damned, which Charles Ford explained better than I did. I had forgotten his crucial word. It's, by the damned, I mean what science has excluded. And so maybe the title of this podcast will be something to do with the Book of the Damned. For now, on behalf of Paul Jacob, my name is Timothy Vercola, and I'm thanking you for joining us for This Week in Common Sense for the first week of March 2022. Like us, subscribe on SoundCloud, Rumble, and YouTube. But find our pages on SoundCloud, Rumble, and YouTube at thisiscommonsense.org. Have a good weekend.